0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is our elite, regular panelist, once again, Bruce Garrick. Bruce, welcome back to the show. Hello, gamers. Oh, there it is. And we also welcome back, for the first time in a long time, uh, Julian Murdoch.
1: It's been like two months or something, maybe even longer.
0: Yeah, I think the last time was uh, when we had Rob Davio on the show up at uh, Tahoe. Uh, maybe, maybe true. Well, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me. And it's a good time to have you back because it's about that time of year where we start talking about the games we played this year, what stands out. Uh, I don't want to call this a best of, you know, best of twenty thirteen show because we're really not that well prepared and we haven't thought deeply enough about it. Uh, <laughs> As and,
1: opposed to all those other shows where we're so well prepared. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, and and we're also you're also missing, you know, Troy, and uh, I'd, hope, I'd like to get Tom around for one of those shows. But uh, I, I do kind of want to talk about. You know what stands out in your mind, uh, you know, as the major strategy releases of the year. And you know, Julian, you've been saying that you don't have a ton to talk about. So I thought we'd start off with you. Like in a year where you haven't maybe gotten a
1: chance to play a ton of strategy games, what's a highlight? Well, I, you know, honestly, I've played, and this isn't something we talk a lot about here. If I think of all of the strategy time that I've spent, and we'll talk about cardboard later, maybe, but you know, in terms of video gaming. I got to tell you, it was 90% MOBAs, and that's not, you know, I think we get to talk about MOBAs for, like, 11 minutes a year, uh, except for, like, the occasional every-other-year show on it, um, but, you know, LOL has really hit its stride as an eSport and as a strategy game, and the meta game has gotten really interesting, and, you know, I follow it like an actual sport now and play it. Uh, And that has been very satisfying and and honestly very strategic, right? I mean, there's a lot of metagame strategy, a lot of discussion about will this work, will that work, Um, you know, much like playing, you know, a football game uh, where people, you know, pre-plan their strategies and figure out who they're going to take in when. And then we had, you know, this was the year that Dota 2 officially launched um, from Valve uh, and got sort of its first run out in in real competitive circles and did really well. And I played a bunch of that. I'm, I'm not very good at it, so I don't play a lot of it. And we had Infinite Crisis come out from Turbine. So those were sort of three standout games for me, but they're all very much in the same genre. They're all almost mirror images of each other in a way. Um, and, and going through the list of games that came out this year, what actually shocked me was how few other big strategy games there were. I mean, you know, XCOM was last year, but there were expansions. StarCraft was two years ago. We had another expansion. Uh, I guess, I mean, the big game of the year is, I guess, EU4, right?
0: Yeah, that's definitely going to be near the top of my lists uh, for this year. I, I don't think any game has sort of consumed me uh, the way EU4 did. But, you know, what's interesting is it sort of seems like uh, expansion is the new sequel, in some ways like i don't remember expansions always being as significant as they suddenly seem this year now it could just be that pickens are slimmer and so we we rally around expansions more than we used to but like you know i playing um the xcom expansion for instance enemy within it feels like a huge amount has been added to that game uh yeah. not just you know mechanically and just you know Maybe even more importantly, from just the perspective of how many maps there are in the game, uh, it feels like you know that the game's almost doubled in size, which is really exciting. Uh, well, and,
1: and it, it got a lot more interesting. I only just picked that up, and um, it, frankly, I found the the first release got a little rote after a while, and it was still entertaining. But after I don't know, I don't know what the hour mark is where it happens. Maybe six or seven hours in one campaign set. It gets a little rote um, and, and doesn't quite have the replayability that some their titles do. The new expansion, holy cow. I mean, it's, there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of other stuff going on all of a sudden. It's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely getting pounded a little bit in it, too. Uh, I'm in this uh, Newfoundland Fishing Village mission uh, that's basically like... The plot of Aliens, except <laughs> uh, you, you, don't ha- you don't have you uh, don't have Ripley there to bail you out, so it's it you know that's been a lot of fun. I I think you know for Starcraft, uh, you know Heart of Darkness.
1: Heart of the Storm (laughs)
0: no see no that's what I was going to say Heart of the Storm but no it's Heroes of the Storm is the MOBA they're making Oh, Heart of the Swarm is the StarCraft Mm. expansion and it's been tripping me up all year and I have to think about it for like a minute before I can Mm. say it but for StarCraft like uh, I think uh, Heart of the Swarm Mm. uh, has definitely changed the game a lot I don't think it's been a hugely I don't think it's had the impact on StarCraft that Brood War had on StarCraft 1, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of an impossible standard. But it's been, it definitely feels like these expansions to these games are much more significant now. That I guess you'd say maybe it's an extension of the games as services thing where there are platforms now that sort of modularly expand over time. And so I look at a lot of these expansions we've seen and I think, well, no, those, those are big releases now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I you I think you just convinced me that I need to go and buy StarCraft two, but uh, um, I I also wish I had played um, the XCom expansion because that sounds like it would be interesting to talk about, but I have not, so I'll defer to you guys.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, and mostly it adds the new mechanic, which is which is really um, makes it feel like a new game. Which which oddly is sort of how I feel about EU four too. Uh, which is you know playing eu4 was a little bit like putting on a comfortable pair of shoes hmm. and then sort of discovering oh oh but they changed you know how this works and the monarch points do this and right. i mean it, it it didn't feel unfamiliar at all but it still mm-hmm. felt new and fun uh, which i think is kind of i mean maybe this is a sign of growing old i that's kind of exactly what I want I don't necessarily want particularly not a big paradox style game mm-hmm. I don't want to learn a whole bunch of new crap I want somebody to i want somebody to leverage up on the stuff that I already know works, right? Right. Which is kind of the same thing, I guess, with a MOBA or with, you know, MMOs do that. First person shooters do that. You know, in any one of these genres, there's certain things that you just kind of get used to working. Like, I mean, as simple as, you know, using the WASD keys to move around, like nobody would ever launch one where you use TFG and H, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, And EU4, in a sense, has done that with interface and with and with design and with sort of pacing and how you expect things to work in the world and and i didn't put a ton of time into eu4 certainly nothing like i could put into eu2 which is the one that really grabbed me way back when mm-hmm. um but uh it, it is definitely the most polished of those grand strategy games i think i've ever played
2: yeah i mean the the, the eu series uh it just seems to refine that whole i mean it, it's basically its own genre i think um, I mean, if, if you're if you're talking about um, things that are comfortable and and uh, just keep improving on this on a com- very familiar formula, then you of course have to mention Dominion's four. But um, <laughs> um, I'll save that. But uh, yeah, no, i I, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed playing around. I haven't gotten as nearly as far into EU uh, four as I had hoped. I was going to play some multiplayer, and then of course it, the multiplayer was really broken out of the I don't know, out of the box out of the did you have a virtual box? Whatever, yeah, out, out of, the of the something that it comes in. So um, uh, I'm still looking forward to trying that out.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something that uh, maybe we can try to put the game, a game together sometime over winter break. I know there's been conversations about that. Because mm-hmm. uh, I have heard the multiplayer's gotten, uh, well, that it works. So that's, that's always a good first step for successful multiplayer. <laughs> that's, is, yeah, uh, that's you the know, word yeah, of Working, sure
1: anyway. working, yeah. all about working. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do, do you have to be, do you have to be connected via Firewire in the same room? No? Then you're off to a good start. Mm. I wanted to circle back on something you said, though, right at the start, Julian. I, I, you know, I was sort of surprised to hear you list all these other MOBAs, because the last I heard from you, you were kind of a one MOBA guy. Uh, you were firmly wedded to League of Legends, and when I brought up Dota to you, you were like, perish the boss. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I, you know, that's that's sort of the, the cry that everybody makes, every addict makes right before they go try a new drug, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're convinced that you found the ultimate, that means that you've or about three days away from jumping onto the next bandwagon. Um, Some of it, honestly, is just that the player community in League of Legends is so freaking toxic, and it's really started to get to me. It's gotten to the point now where if I can't get a whole game of people together on my side of people I know... I kind of just don't even play. I just move on to something else. And while there's still plenty of that going on in the other games, I think the communities are new enough and the people who are there are kind of there because they want to be part of something new and something growing uh, and something exciting. And so, they, they, you know, it's not that they don't call out noob when you do something dumb. They just sort of do it with a nicer tone of virtual voice or something. Um, and, and so it's been, uh, that's mostly been it. I actually think League of Legends is as polished as it's ever been. And the, you know, they've, they've kind of nailed it. I think it's a bit of an unassailable hill that they have right now. Um, doesn't mean they can't screw it up quick. Uh, certainly people do. Uh, but you know, I, I, and I look at all the folks that are competing against them and I enjoy them and I want to support them. But sometimes I also just sort of shake my head and say, what were you thinking? you know, going up against the big boys. It's like trying to launch an MMO against World of Warcraft.
0: Yeah, I definitely, um, you know, it's interesting. I was i was there looking at uh, Infinite Crisis the other uh, the other week, and it's a cool game. There's a lot of things I like about it. Uh, and honestly, the, the one thing I sort of wish is that maybe it departed more radically from League of Legends. Like, I play it, and, I, you know, sort of the things they layer into it that are very reminiscent of League. I find myself wondering, well, you know, Maybe you don't need this as much. Uh, maybe you, you know break away even further. But I don't know. It's it's a game that I've I've been enjoying getting into the uh, the beta. Uh, I'm into that a little more than I am uh, Dota at this point, but. That's sort of on my list to revisit. Uh, you know, before we get around to Bruce's stuff, I did want to ask you. There's been so much, uh, you know, almost controversy with this new League of Legends patch that it's been sort of it's sort of completely revamped the game and uh, fundamentally altered some major roles.
1: Uh, has that been your experience? so in between every official season, right, we just finished season 3 where a bunch of guys want a million bucks, and then season 4 will sort of start sometime, I don't know, in the spring and in this interim period Riot uses it as a time to sort of test a whole bunch of new stuff and some of it will stick and some of it won't, um, and so they you know, they did things like added a new uh, a new jungle camp in the jungle and changed some of the routing that you use to get around, you know some, some places that used to be walls now have Holes in them, and some of the bushes are bigger, and some of the bushes are smaller. For anybody who's relatively new to the game, you might not even notice some of the stuff. If you're a die-hard player, it's the equivalent of saying, "And now this year, we're going to try making the football field 90 yards long and see what happens now." Right. right? So it's a, it's a radical change for anybody who really plays the game. But if you were just picking up the ball and throwing it around, you would never notice. Um, and there's a lot of little changes like that. They changed, you know, health of different mobs. They made some things harder and some things easier. And they do this in between every season, and it, it actually is fun. It sort of keeps things engaging and it sort of mixes it up, and then there'll sort of be a settling down period, and Riot's gotten really good about communicating not just what they're changing, but why they changed it and what they're hoping it does, and then they monitor play and they say, well, did it work? Did it not work? And a lot of times, you know, they'll take the ten big things they did and then pare it down, and then you'll have a, a good, chunky, maybe six-week preseason where they sort of stabilize the system, let every Everybody get used to it, and then the season kicks off officially. And in, during the season, they tend to keep patches down to bug fixes and and truly egregious just balance issues.
0: Now, now Bruce, we were talking a little bit before the show uh, about what we'd be talking about here, and I sort of figured you'd be good to tell us what's been what's been really hot in the world of wargaming. Uh, because as you know, this is to be our winter of wargaming. Uh, you, we, you, and I are going to journey forth into wargaming and
2: do many shows on it. Oh, it's going to be great. Set the agenda. Uh, so I, I'm a little biased because uh, I actually this year I got to uh, kind of sort of work on some games. Uh, I, w- I don't know that's probably a little too strong a term, but I did I did have uh, the opportunity to play test and offer a lot of feedback on a couple titles, both for Shenandoah. Um, one is not out yet, which is LL Maine, um, but the other one uh, I did a fair amount of play testing on. Um, didn't have much input into the game itself. Um, which is sort of a, you know, play the, um, pre- play the pre-release version and and uh, you know talk about what's not unbalanced, etc. Uh, was Drive on Moscow? That's the uh, for people who don't know, but I'm sure ninety percent of our listenership does. That's the sequel to Battle of the Bulge um, that Shenandoah released last December. Uh, this one came out in Nov. Uh, Drive on Moscow came out in November, so there's about a year between releases. Uh, they're working on. A number of uh, new games, uh, ones that are announced are um, Gettysburg, uh, that was a Kickstarter that was successful, and then El Alamein is really the um, partner to Battle of the Bulge, but um, there were some design issues that came up that delayed it, so they decided to put drought, drought mm-hmm. on Moscow in between. Um, people who uh, bought um, El Alamein with the Bulge Kickstarter will get it uh, still
1: so can you can you sort of tell us what changes? I have not played um, Drive on Moscow yet. I, mm-hmm. I have I think I have it sitting a press code sitting there, and I just haven't mm-hmm. installed it yet. Yeah. Um. So what's the, you know, what, give give us the upshot if we played and loved Battle Battle of the Bulge for all of its flaws and glory. Mm-hmm. Um. What's what changes between that and then what are they changing in El
2: Alamin? Um. Well, so Alameen is going to be a, 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 a kind of a main has a, a a difficult problem to solve, which is that it's trying to model a campaign that. Uh, was four months long, whereas um, a Bulge campaign didn't even last two weeks, and now you are trying to do the same. You know, use the same system. So, so, so there is many changes that need to be uh, done. Drive of Moscow basically uh, extends. It that drive of Moscow is actually almost, gosh, uh, almost well, it's two and a half months long. So that's actually a pretty long time. Um, but they they tweak things because the um, time passages. The, the impulses represent, you know, so many hours rather than, um, you know, thirty minutes, sixty minutes, whatever. Um, and the, the map is much bigger, uh, and the um, the mechanics are fairly similar. There's a there's a more. Uh, it's it's a it's a much more fluid game. Uh, you the tanks can um, armor can exploit two spaces. Um, there are all sorts of special rules for um, prepared offensive. There's cavalry. Um, there's uh, weather changes. There's, there are four different types of weather with a really nice uh, changes to the map. I mean, that's almost, that was almost worth it for me there. Um, I, I kind of made fun of it when it first came out. Or when first when it was first announced, that they were going to have weather changes because you know, they have uh, you know, they had weather changes in uh, Chris Crawford's uh, Eastern Front 1941, and that was 30 years ago. But uh, but they did it. They did a nice job with uh, with the art. It's just it's it looks spectacular. Now the AI has been criticized, and uh, I have to say I do agree that the AI really doesn't know how to play the game well. Um, but it's a it's a it's an excellent. Uh, two-player, um, you know, multiplayer back and forth. It plays just as smoothly as uh, as Bulge. Um, haven't really seen many bugs. Um, you know, the hung games, things like that, I haven't really run into them. Um, the uh, The game is longer. The campaign game takes quite a bit of time. I mean, it's a 22-turn game as opposed to um, what was the... Um, Bulge was like... Yeah, like 16th. It started on the 16th and and, and if you... If you didn't end early then it could go to the 28th that's the other thing that they've um they've done with uh with moscow is they you know how bulge was so um it was so controversial the 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 victory point thresholds were controversial because they would end the game early uh and there was always all this you know argument about whether the numbers were appropriate or how people played and whether you know the the sort of turtle strategy would unbalance the game so Rather than try to balance a whole bunch of victory point thresholds, uh, Shenandoah just decided, hey, let's just take them out of the game, Uh, so they're not there, and Mm -hmm. uh, that means that if you're going to play a scenario, you're going to play the whole scenario, Uh, and so if you're playing the campaign game, you're playing all 22 turns unless somebody captures Moscow, which is uh, if if the Russians are played right, that's very very difficult to do. So you're probably going to commit yourself to a to a 22 turn game, and then you know if you have each if each player has. Uh, you know, eight or nine impulses, seven or eight impulses. I can't remember. per per thing. You've got 140. I mean, that's that's a it's a it's it's weeks of play if if not more.
0: That can be a tricky thing, though, right? Like, I mean, longer scenarios in a war game. It can, you know, I mean, if 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 things go really well for you, it can be kind of a steamroll from you know turn five onwards or something, and mm-hmm. uh, vice versa. Like those things can be hard to make interesting. You know, for the entire distance uh yes. you found the, yeah. this the this. design holds make the, the scenario kind of hangs together over that period
2: um it does if the both sides are playing uh if the, if the players are even uh if they're not then yeah i agree g- completely with you it takes uh, it takes a little um it takes a little bit of the fun out of it because uh the the soviets really only counterattack it, it's a 22 Turn scenario the Soviets counterattack for the last four turns, so you've got eighteen turns of kind of hanging around waiting oh, to make God. your counterattack, and which is not as bad as it sounds. I mean, it's actually it's it, it's there's are <laughs> really selling it for me here. That sounds terrible. Well, it's uh, the 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 Soviets have, can can cause the Germans a significant amount of problem during the mud turns. Uh, well, the the game has actually, and and um, we'll we'll uh, I think in our winter of War gaming, we'll we'll investigate this further, but. The game has definitely has a tempo uh, that changes with the weather, and um, you know the Russians have have some chance to do some stuff. But yeah, you can kind of sit around if you're if you're not playing well, and the Germans kind of got you on the ropes, then it can be long. And I can imagine how people would just resign. Um, but if they're even if they're evenly matched, I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff to do for both sides in the game. So
0: here's here's my question: because you're talking about mm-hmm. uh, you know Operation Barbarossa, and then. Uh, and El Alamein, uh, sort mm-hmm. of pairing with uh, Battle of the Bulge, and what was me about Battle of the Bulge, and I, don't play, I only played it a little bit uh, over at Julian's house, and uh, I got my ass handed to me by that game uh, numerous times because it's it's surprisingly hard to take Bastogne if you're the Germans. I gotta mm. be honest, it's mm-hmm. not it's not simple. Uh, but it sort of seemed like there were, there were two things one is that the entire map was like right there on on the uh, display you know mm-hmm. the, it's it's sort of this tiny little board uh that that you're able to sort of control and, and, and take in at a glance uh the other thing is the way it's structured seemed at least to me kind of uniquely suited to the battle of the bulge because that is such a battle about Controlling the roadways to open up passages through the forests and strike deeper into allied territory. Uh, and it's kind of a confined battlefield. And a lot of that seemed to come into play in the way that game was designed, the way the territories uh, were laid out and how attacks from one territory and the next worked uh, it was sort of a risk map type adjacency thing going on. When I think about things like El Alamein, uh, or something as sweeping as uh, Operation Barbarossa, I kind of think, well, is that the appropriate system? Like, it seems like that sort of what was so appropriate for Battle of the Bulge, sort of sounds like to me it would snap under the weight of open desert warfare or something that stretches from Poland all the way to Moscow. So mm-hmm. maybe like. Have,
2: how, do, how, how does it work? How, do, how have they handled, how have they handled that? Well, first of all, I should point out that that the drive on Moscow is not actually Operation Barbarossa. It's actually Operation Typhoon. So it okay. doesn't go all the way from Poland to Moscow. It just starts, you know, in in uh, you know actually east of Smolensk. So oh, okay,
0: uh, not Operation Typhoon. I just I just spent like. Five days trying to do Operation Typhoon. Oh, and, in, uh, in, in Unity in, uh, of Command,
2: Black Turn. Yeah, so that's oh my another God. one. We, that's a, that's a, another war game that came out. We talk about. But yeah, th- so it, it holds together partially because I think they've ma- they've kept it they've kept it uh, limited to uh, to Operation Typhoon, and uh, the the El Alamein thing is actually a uh, is an, a really really interesting design problem. And um, if I. At some point, I get permission from uh, Shenandoah to, to talk about it on the show. Uh, I will. I don't want to go too deep into. That. I you know I don't know what they've what they want to talk about and what they don't. I mean, they've released some stuff on the website. Jen, uh, just out of courtesy to them. I mean, I'm not NDA, but right. um, it just seems like kind of would be kind of a crappy thing to do to try to um, speculate on stuff without um, without checking first but uh i i hope i can i can look, uh, get them to let me talk about uh some of the stuff because the design problems that 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 game has to solve are very interesting um and uh, i think it's, it'll probably be the most challenging but po- possibly the most rewarding if uh if uh, it all works out And it's also being designed by mark herman so uh i have a lot of confidence that those problems are going to get uh, are going to get overcome because uh, mark herman is just a i mean he's a fantastic game designer so um but so but for operation typhoon stuff, yeah. that's a more bulge like
0: scenario at least right because that's kind right. of a confined battlefield with a lot of geographic difficulty as well
2: yeah it's definitely a um it's definitely a strike far and fast and then hang on with the comedy I mean, it's very similar to the uh to the bulge um to the bulge model where the Germans were on the, you know, on the attack and then the allies come back and, and need to beat them, uh, beat them back. The, the German, um, offensive is only about half of the game in bulge. Um, but it's, you know, a good three quarters of the game in, uh, in drive on Moscow. So, um, if you're playing the Soviets, you have to be prepared to be a little passive. Um, but, uh, I think it's, I mean, I think it's a really good game. I think that they, of all the things that it shows, it shows just how hard it is to write AI for games where you see um, you see everything, and you can't sort of the, the game has nowhere to hide because the you can see that the game made a stupid move, right? I mean, I can't really t- I mean, I can see sort of in in uh, uh, war in the east when the game makes a stupid move, but you know, with with all the fog war, I mean, I don't really know where the where the AI has his units, and maybe that attack that he's making is the best attack that he can make because of something else. I, you know, I don't have all the information, but when I, when I see a, a move on the iPad and I look at it and think, gosh, I would never have done that, um, it, makes it, uh, it makes it challenging. So uh, I know that, there, that Shenandoah also is working on improving the AI, so hopefully they will get, um, they will get that improved. But, uh, but that's only one of the many war games that, uh, that have come out. Uh, you just mentioned another one, which is Black Turn. I see that Typhoon is uh, is confounding you the way it uh, seems to be confounding a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I finally I finally nailed it. But, you know, so, so
0: Julian, have you played the Black Turn expansion at all?
1: No, I haven't. Again, it's another one sitting there I think I have a press copy of that I have not even gotten installed.
0: Yeah, were you, were you one of those people who got turned off a little bit by Red Turn?
2: Uh, yes. Yes. Why is, why is that? Why would you get turned off?
1: Because uh, it was impossible. Because <laughs> I suck. Nah. Well-known sucking at games.
0: I, I saw, you know, in the comments on the uh, Idle Thumbs forum for the show, uh, you know, I, I noticed last people last week when we talked to um, Tomislav and Peter, there were some complaints from listeners that we sort of seemed to dwell on the uh, puzzle-like uh, question of scenario design and everything. And I did, I did feel a little bad that we kind of belabored that point. Uh, but... It was also something that I heard so often about Red Turn in particular uh, that it seemed, you know, something w- definitely worth delving into because, like, you know, Russ Pitts over at Polygon adored Unity of Command. It was kind of a war game that sort of brought him back to the fold. Uh, and then, you know, I remember when he started playing Red Turn, I think he got two scenarios in and just kind of flipped the table uh, and, and was just done with it. And I think that was that was true for a lot of people, and it's weird, but... You know, the, the funny thing is I think Red Turn kind of suffers from historical accuracy where it, it's it, those early scenarios of the Russians are really, really tough. Like it's really tough for the Soviets to get their offensives going successfully. But the later scenarios sort of open up a little bit uh, and become maybe a little less uh, a little less ass kicking uh, than the early ones. But yeah, those, those first scenarios, uh, I, I damn near quit on the second scenario uh then i got past it but no, so mm-hmm. so uh you know playing the typhoon scenario for black turn was really cool because i think i played that four or five times and i never got frustrated it was just each time through i was learning new things about how you have to go about attacking moscow because what's really cool about the typhoon scenario is it's really um and and and, and peter peter DeYoung brought it up in last week's show, they almost split the scenario in two, right? They were almost going to do the first phase, the encirclement of Vyazma, and then phase two is going to be the final assault on Moscow. And then they, they ended up doing it all as one. And what's interesting about doing it in one shot is that you have to be the guy who envisions the two phases the offensive is going to take. You have to be the person who sees how all these disparate potential spearheads you've got to launch will eventually fit together as they converge on Moscow. And, and, the, and the mistake I was making early was I got really obsessed with the uh, southern pincer that basically shoots east and then can turn north and strike up to Moscow and cut basically the entire Red Army off. Mm-hmm. And I sort of had it in my head that that was going to be my key to victory. I was going to come up from the south and, uh, you know, do the job that way. But you don't have enough time for that to work. So it took me a lot of tries to figure out how to, to uh, take this uh, first city, Viasma, that sort of guards the gates uh to to moscow so it was really interesting though like it's it's not often that a war game scenario can keep me coming back for four or five times uh, until i played it reminds me of you know like a lot of my favorite board games you know there's always those few scenarios uh that, that you return to again and again or in the case of a game like war of the ring there's one scenario that you play endlessly uh and it's really cool and so typhoon was kind of that for me i i played it a bunch of times and never got tired of it yeah,
2: the um, I think the whole sort of um, Unity of Command trilogy is. I mean, it's, I think it's really an amazing uh, sort of achievement. I think it's the the um, if I can think of a of a of a comparison. It's I think it's kind of the Atomic Games um, series of the uh, of two thousand combats. Um, no, more like. Um, um Market Garden and uh, Utah uh um, Wait, was that that was Atomic? The V for Joe? Victory series. That was not Pardon? Atomic, was it? Yeah, it was. You're I'm pretty sure it was. That was Atomic, wasn't it?
0: All right, now I'm uh, cuz cuz I vaguely remember the V for Victory series when I was yeah. first getting into PC
2: gaming. V for Victory was Atomic. I'm 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 I, it's from oh, memory, no, it but Almost sure it is.
1: But the point you're trying to make is that it's sort of seminal and defining itself, right? It yes, took the, it exactly. It t- took the idea of how do you simulate a conflict and kind of just started from scratch, which is why it's so intriguing, because it does make you think about... This, you know, I mean, we've all played these battles a thousand times in how many different ways, and this is a really unique way of thinking about these conflicts. And and it's kind of like you get it or you don't. I will mm-hmm. be honest. I played. I mean, I played through the first game, and I kind of did it despite the game. Like it never mm-hmm. clicked for me the way many other games click for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciated it for what it was doing, but I have a feeling that there's like. Um, there's a class of people who get it and there's a class of people who don't. And I enjoyed the game and appreciated the game, but I don't think it ever really clicked. It never felt organic to me. I was always Mm -hmm. kind of doing sort of like, almost like I was speaking a second language, right? I was translating mm-hmm. in my head and then trying to make the game do what was translated in my head from, you know, calcified ways of thinking about the conflict. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I started hitting the stuff, uh, the Soviet missions, I mean, Rob, I think I probably quit right when you said you almost quit. I did not put much time into it because then I was just throwing myself against the wall.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think that you have to, in order to, to really get that game, you have to really think about... um you really have to think about the underlying mechanics. It's interesting that um you know, both the V for Victory series and the um the and the Unity Command series sort of have the I mean they're, they're board game sort of translations, although I know that's a bad word. Sorry, I didn't mean to say translations. They're 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 adapting board game mechanics, although V for Victory I think, uh, was actually less board gamey than uh, than Unity of Command is. Um but they're but they're both they're such uh uh, they, they, hold, they hold together really well for me and they, um, they seem to be, to me, they're very, both of them are, you, I can pick them up very easily. Um, although I went back and tried to play one of the old V for Victory, uh, series games and just the, um, the interface was just infuriating. I just can't believe that I actually clicked on, you know, so many hundreds of times, uh, that many years ago, I must've had a lot of free time, but, um. <laughs> But uh, but I, I yeah I think that they're I'm really interested to see what they do. And, You know they said that they're gonna you know think about doing the Western Front next. I think I mean that'll that'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very impressed by by these guys and and the way they designed this stuff. Cool. So we have um, we have another um, well there, I mean there are other games that that are not war games that came out that uh, uh, you know Agricola on the i on the iPad came <laughs> oh, God, out this year. Oh no. Do you know that? I didn't know if you knew that. Wait, did
0: Agricola just become relevant again?
1: <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. Agricola yeah. oh never stops gosh. being relevant, Rob. It a is Gricola. the game by which all other games are
2: measured. That's get sad. That's. I mean, so I, mean I, waited, a lot I waited a long deep, time for that one, so I'm pretty. I did I'm too. Pretty, yeah, it was so. a good year for uh,
1: it was a good year for iOS board games. Oh, it was a great Definitely. year
2: for iOS board games.
1: I mean, we got some of them may have come out last year, but we got Eclipse, we got mm-hmm. uh, Alien Frontiers.
2: Lahav uh, came out last. La year. Lahav,
1: that was that was I think the year before. Um, that came out
2: in uh, two thousand Lords, Lords
0: of
1: Waterdeep, which I know is your favorite oh, game God. ever. That's
2: so bad. Yeah, oh, so it's, 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 okay. So I don't
0: get it. What what's the problem with Lords of Waterdeep, Bruce?
2: The Lords of Waterdeep is just. I mean, I I mean, I don't know. I I don't enjoy it at all. I I find that the theme is so thin and and really just. It's so obfuscating <laughs> compared oh.
1: to Agricola? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the world becoming the world's most average dirt farmer is a theme that compels you more than recruiting Dungeons and Dragons
2: parties? Well you're not, but that's the point. It's not that it's not that the the theme itself is is uh, you know uninteresting. It's that the theme and the mechanics just don't really work at all together. I mean it's it's the game it's almost like it's like it's like a calis. Where they decided they had to, uh, they kind of had to make Dungeons and Dragons out of it. I mean, there's all these cubes; they have no relation to the, the quests. I mean, it's just completely arbitrary, um, and I, I don't really think the game is actually that deep either. But uh, but I, I, I'm really bothered by the by how how the, the theme just doesn't hang on the mechanics at all. I mean, you could make it anything, um, and I think that you can't really do that anymore. I mean, it, it used to be. That you had these game mechanics, and if you had clever mechanics, and you could just put some weird theme on it, and right. just math with uh, graphics. Who cares? Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And it, you know, and it was you know the the euro games were new, and people hadn't played stuff like this before. So yeah, just make make some cool mechanics, like you said, make some make some math, put some graphics on it, and and people would play it and enjoy it. But I think that we've moved quite a distance from that, and I think that people expect the the theme and the mechanics to. To sort of complement each other, and that the, the um, um, you know the old you know Reiner Knesia kind of. I mean, I I still I I still uh, laugh when he says that he you know he thinks of a of a theme before he designs the mechanics. I feel like <laughs> that's because it's the
1: biggest lie anyone's yeah. ever said. Yeah, yeah.
2: but um, um, well,
1: so so what do you think of Manhattan Project, which is another worker placement game that came I, out I this Project. year? I have not played that one. Uh, okay, what is it? Uh, it's it another sounds worker, awesome. It, it's another worker placement game, but it's about building the atomic bomb, as you would expect. Um, and it's I, you know it has it has some twists on the mechanics, but I think that that argument that the theme uh, gets thin kind of applies to every worker placement game I've ever played. Um, you know, it applies to Alien Frontiers, which is my favorite light one, also one that came out mm-hmm. this year. Um, you know, it applies almost to every game Fresh that uses does that mechanic. does not
0: have a ton to do with painting.
1: Yeah, for exactly. I mean, so I think I think worker placement as a as a methodology for taking actions. There's a certain commonality to that, and I understand why you don't get the theme out of it in in Lords of Waterdeep. I think some of it has to do with who you play with and how much they get into the theme, and also whether or not you've upgraded to have all the little pieces. Because you know Agricola just has little cubes to represent cows, but if you play mm-hmm. with actual cows, it's more inter- more entertaining. Um, Is it? Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is. My Agricola set has nothing but like actual anthropomorphic pieces for everything.
0: I'll tell really? you this: like Libertalia, uh, which is kind of a cute little pirate themed uh, card game. that's all about like great game order play and uh, who like sort of guessing what the other person's going to play. That game. That game's that game's pretty cool. If you play it with pirate doubloons, on the other hand, instead of like cardboard coins. It ought, like, like, just increases like tenfold how much fun that game is.
1: Yes, hmm. absolutely. And that's the difference between playing these games as intellectual exercises, which is what ends up happening often when you p- move them to the iPad and playing them in person. Um, you know, so, and I think worker placement games in general can be a little tedious on iPad because, you know, they, they're great for when you're sitting around because you're never waiting very long to do anything, but mm-hmm. when you're passing it around five people, it means that your one game ends up Taking six weeks because you know everybody's got one little action to do, which can be a oh yeah bit it,
2: asynchronous. Yeah, I, th- that's the thing. I, I don't really enjoy. I can't. I can't play Agricola asynchronously. It just. It, I forget. It's takes forever. I, yeah, yeah. I just doesn't. I, you know, I played a couple games. So I was like, okay, that's the end of the. That's, that's no. The best way to play it yeah. is
1: on the couch with three other people with iPads. No, no, I, no, I, just, I don't. I don't
2: like the. I, I just don't like the iPad. Um, I think that Shenandoah. If I could just go back to them for a second, has it was very smart in that they. Insist that their map be c- totally visible on the iPad as one piece, and that it be playable at that scale. Because I, that's the one another thing that bothers me about actually about Agricola is that I can't see the whole map. I, I really right. want to see everything. I want to see where people's are. I don't want to keep scrolling back and forth. I mean, that's a problem with Waterdeep, but um, it's a well, problem it's a with a lot of games.
1: Yeah, it's a problem with all sorts of board game conversions. Yeah, uh, you, know, there's, I, you know, there's only so much you can do around that if you're trying to map something to the. Uh, you know, to the environment of the screen, right? I mean, I thought, you know, there there have been examples that I think do it particularly well. I actually think Agricola does it better than some other games, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the games that try to enforce the board game image on the screen, Alien Frontiers being the classic example, mm-hmm. um, make them unplayable if you've never played the board game before because you can't even navigate around the board.
0: Well, this is, I mean, this is what we... When we had the uh, panel at PAX East uh, and we had, we had Eric joining us, what, that was his main theme, wh- was that he, the slides he brought uh, were all about how most board game iOS conversions at their basest level, uh, and at least in that first generation of board game iOS conversions, was basically scan an image of the map, scan right. an image of the cards... And boom, your conversion away is basically you go. done. Right. Yeah, and he was like, "This is this is disastrous." Like, because these things are meant to take up a an enti- like a dining room table or a coffee table, and when you put them into a teeny little iPad uh, window, you've completely destroyed the usability of the interface uh, of the board game. Right. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely,
1: completely. Uh, but it was a good year for those kinds of games. I mean, I played a lot of those kinds
2: of games on my iPad this year um have you guys have, oh and, and fdl came out for the ipad oh that's... which is a strategy game by the way it is so you know. it's fantastic yeah um did you uh, have you guys played papers please i have not a strategy game no uh isn't it i guess it's not
1: not really it's not really even a game it's kind of a you know existential experience
2: yeah uh... i guess that but that kind of makes it a strategy game in my mind well hang on how much of you how much of it have you played have you finished it i've
0: not
1: finished it oh god no no i played four or five hours of it though which is a lot for that game
0: yeah i gather actually as you get further and further into your career as a bureaucrat like it becomes a little more game like i don't want to get sidetracked in the whole like is it a oh game yeah or you have to start game, making but... some
1: i mean if 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 the definition of game is making interesting choices to borrow from whoever the hell said that um yeah you end up having to make some interesting choices they're pretty freaking depressing but you have to make some interesting choices like who's gonna starve and who's gonna live <laughs>
0: you got bruce playing the game over there being like yes truly
2: <laughs> capitalism is the only free society <laughs> hey it's a uh, it, like you said it's, a, it's an existential experience but uh yeah i guess it's not really a uh, it's not really a um a strategy game but i wanted to i wanted to mention it because it came out this year and i think it's worth it's worth people trying so but there's another thing that i wanted to bring up which yes. is going to be high on it's gonna it's it's rob it's gonna be our it's gonna be the set piece of of our uh, set piece. That's what I meant to say. Um, Centerpiece. Thank you. Centerpiece of our um, of our Winter of gaming, And that is going to be, what do you think it is? Uh, conflict of Heroes yes, something, something. Yes, very good. Very good.
0: Uh, conflict now, there's, of now there's three Conflict of Heroes. There's the this base is, game yes. and there's expansions. What are we going to be
2: playing? So um, I think that we probably should just go ahead and play Storms of Steel.
0: All right, Julian, you want in on this? This is board gamey as hell, and I've been oh, trying. yeah, I tried to crack into this with um, Conflict of Heroes: Awakening the Bear, the base game, and I just bounced off it completely. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't fully know why.
1: Like I know Bruce loved it, so
0: Julian, you're gonna have to take the plunge here with me. So
1: yeah, no, I played a couple hours of Awakening the Bear. I haven't played uh, the sequel. So sequels? you've
2: you've, tr- you've played, but you've played Conflict of Heroes the board game, correct, Julian? Yes, yes, of course, of course. Yeah. So which you hate? Yes. You I despise I, with I, I a dis, burning I dislike passion. I dislike Conflict of Heroes the board game. However, however, I like Conflict of Heroes the
1: uh the computer game. Why why? Because it takes care of the record keeping? No. Why then?
2: Because it's not the same game. I thought the whole point was it was a really good conversion. Right, but it's not the same game. It's not the same game, but it's pretty mm-hmm. damn close. No, there's a very important difference. I feel okay. like we got War Game Educate. Yoda on this podcast. Educate, go ahead. You can you can only have one activated unit in the board game, can't you? Uh, no. Mm, well, you can No, you have one activated <laughs> unit. You can use. No, that's not true. You can you can you can use. There are other ways of activating a unit, but you basically only have one. One guy activated. I'm almost is, sure that's it's the I, case.
1: It's I go, you go.
2: Yeah. But, you, but you, you, move, you have units that you activate, right? Yeah. And then they move and they're done. Yeah. But not in the computer game. You can activate all your units. And you can have them continue to be activated. You can have more than one activated unit at the same time.
1: Okay. And that totally changes the game for you? It
2: totally changes the game. It's a completely different game. I ran out to talk about this during our winter of war gaming uh i will I will come back
0: to it and by the way I just really you know what you know what, this gonna be an annual feature by the way winter Excellent. of war gaming it's going Perfect. to be like a thing that happens on through' head now uh'cause I love cause, it uh, once again looking at these screenshots i'm like damn that looks that looks nice it looks a lot like um tide of iron uh, hmm. but in computer game form uh Bruce do no. you
2: ever getting the tide of iron i i've seen I've never played it it's a little it's a little um I think, isn't Tide of Iron, doesn't Tide of Iron want to be a miniatures game, really?
0: A little bit. It's very it's very Fantasy Flight. But, uh, Julian, you and I had a ball playing a couple oh, scenarios.
1: It's a blast. I love it. It's a great game. I mean, it is. it shares a lot in common with Conflict of Heroes in that it's, you know, this big, hyper-abstract, you know, version of of the, you know this kind of combat. But um but yeah it it does want to be a miniatures game is a good way to put it more than Conflict of Heroes wants to be ASL, right? I mean if if you want to talk about sort of where they're drawing from uh Tide of Iron definitely wants to be Flames of War. And uh and Conflict of Heroes yes, definitely wants Flames to be of war. ASL.
2: That's <laughs> the one Flames of War, that's the one I was I was thinking I was trying to I was trying to come up with I couldn't um Flames of War is I mean Flames of War is like uh, World War Two Warhammer, basically, right? Exactly. That's exactly
1: yeah. what it is. People spend more time painting than playing, just like in Warhammer.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, uh, but I think that I, I think that the computer version of, um, and I just just explain what I mean by by the um, by the change. The computer version of Conflict of Heroes makes a small change to the mechanics that is actually he, a huge change to the mechanics for the specific reason that they can, because in the, uh, in the board game, it would be very hard, or not hard, it would be cumbersome to keep track of exactly how many activation points each, uh, each unit has. So you're basically forced to make decisions, single unit by single unit. Right. Um, and it's, it's done in a way that I think it, it, it feel it's too simple. The game is too simple for that. It, it feels very artificial, um, well, and it lends itself to a lot of gaminess that, in, in a way that I think, if it, if you had more uh, more interaction, like in ASL, I think ASL ASL has its own gamey. I mean, don't get me wrong; ASL is a is a very very gamey system at its heart. If you really know how to play it, um, you know all the you know bypass movement and all the things that you right. do that. Um, but I, I feel a little more comfortable with that than with the, the sort of way that uh, I think Conflict of Heroes breaks for me as a board game. But on the computer, because you don't have to keep track of that yourself, because you can just look and have the computer automatically just show you how many, um, how many, uh, you know, activation points a unit has left, then you can have—everybody can move. And that— sort of very incremental back and forth um, where you, where the back and forth is amongst all the units on the board and not just, okay, I'm moving this unit now and you're moving that unit now. Um, I think it totally changes the game and I think it makes it much better. Um, there are some other things in Conflict the Heroes that I, don't, I, I think they could have done much better. I think they could have done the presentation much better. The information is not presented well uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, but I well, really enjoy it. I, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in if we're going to be playing the, cool. the new one. Yeah, we'll play that. So so the reason I the reason I choose Storms of Steel is that uh, it's got all the heavy metal. I mean, who
1: doesn't want? And you're it? all about the heavy metal.
2: Oh, does that mean Ti- Kursk or Tiger One? Yeah, it's it's Kursk. Yeah, cool. Yeah, hostile. Awesome. So we'll do that. It'll be great. All right, so I'm gonna I'm
0: gonna lay some EU4 on you on y'all here. Yeah, I am just hard pressed to name. Another strategy game that's grabbed me as hard as U four has grabbed me. Maybe since like I mean honestly, when I think back on it, this like I had uh, Civ two levels of obsession uh, with this game. Uh, it's just it just truly just just devoured me. And I only I'm the only one. Like I remember uh, you know our buddy Sean Sands from my Gamers with Jobs has played an absurd amount of this game. Uh, like dwarfs anything like you know I think just a a few weeks after it launched he'd broken the 120 hour mark on it just like almost gross amounts of EU4 for being frank Uh, but yeah you know if I think about like games that that hit me harder than any other like EU4 has to be at the top of that list and I, I think part of it is you know, you say it's, it's sort of a comfortable, it, it, you know, it's a pair of comfortable shoes, Julian. And it, it really is. Like, it's it's definitely building on what Paradox have done with their other games. But what was really nice about this is they finally shook all the pebbles out of those shoes. You know what I mean? Like, they got rid of all the crazy sliders that defined Europa Universalis. Um they really boiled down the choices you were making. Like in EU three, there were a lot of implicit choices about the priorities you were, you were like, what you were setting as your priorities in EU four. They've kind of actually just said, no, look, here's, here's a button. And you press it when you want to do this. But here's what it costs you when you press that button. Uh, and I, I really think, you know I hear this crazy story, but that uh, th- th- this this huge change they made to EU4, the addition of uh, monarch points. Uh, basically, you have points for administration. Which is the
1: best change they've ever made, in my opinion. I love it.
0: The crazy story I heard is that Johan Anderson just came up with that overnight Stayed late. Put it, put a build of it in their code. And everyone came in the next morning and they were playing a completely different game. Like that Johan just kind of, oh, I wonder if this will work. And it, it, it did. That's um, an awesome story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I know Johan's a smart guy, uh, but that's this completely changed the the character of, of Europa Universalis and I, I really love how how that system works. Um and it's it's really valuable because in the past they've had it so that you set sliders that allow you to do things. And a lot of it just became passively waiting for those sliders to take effect and fill a bar somewhere. What's cool about these points is they're all, like, dual or triple use. They're useful for so many different things that if you're going to press a button to stabilize your country in a period of upheaval, uh, that is, yeah, you're going to stabilize your country, but that also means you're going to be kind of... um, static for a while you're not going to be making progress toward your next administrative goal your your infrastructure is going to lag behind Uh, and then as your empire expands those points don't really expand with it so it becomes much more about the prioritization of resources uh, for growing empire and you know in a strategy game like eu the problem of how you keep players from running away with the game is actually a really difficult one Um, it's, it's tough enough in a, in a simple game like Civ really, which only takes place over a, a fairly short period. But in a game like EU, what I always found is that in the previous games, because you're always there sort of guiding the direction of your country, uh, eventually the, the history sim aspect breaks down because you can't simulate a guiding intent behind a country for, 500, 600 years without basically breaking the game. You know, like if, if France is pursuing a coherent policy from, you know, the 1100s all the way up through the 1800s, France is going to get really crazy powerful. And what they did with this game is they created a lot of pushback mechanics to keep you from just being like, oh, well, I'm going to conquer the continent of Europe, but I'm going to do it slowly so nobody realizes it's happening. Uh, and, and so they really created a game that, you know, your choices are sharpened, and then the game pushes back much harder than it ever has before uh, in a way that just, like, it, it's, I, I cannot stop playing it. Like, just talking about it, I want to fire up my game as the team um, and just and that, go. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing too is is that the, the the there there's the starting positions are all very different and interesting, and there's so many different cultures that like you know if you're playing games of Western European monarchy and then you switch to a step tribal people who basically like their new ruler is chosen by like trial by combat, it's a completely different game, uh, and that's really fun
1: yeah there's a lot of variety in it and um it's one of those things, games that's perfect for winter right that you know you're gonna have some doldrums days where you don't want to do anything and don't want to leave the house and don't want do uh you don't want to talk to any human beings and uh you just lock yourself in the room for nine hours and poof
0: that should also that that should be something we all do over this winter break
2: <laughs> yep yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah well i i think uh I think we'll just have to um all get together and have a um I, I would enjoy that too i would enjoy a multiplayer uh u4 uh we should get uh, troy involved as well
0: yeah don't let me drink too much though during that game ah. because the last time i played a multiplayer game of a paradox game with troy i got super drunk and then hmm. i invaded troy's russia
1: ah.
0: um and i chose my invasion date as like october <laughs> <laughs> so a classic
1: failure
0: yeah basically basically i got liquid where's up. the
1: worst place on the planet to invade and what's the worst time to do it you win
0: yeah basically i destroyed napoleon's empire in like 1807 uh by just being like screw it i think i can take this guy uh and that was the end of that uh i think i never continued that save yeah but yeah Okay. So I know that uh, Bruce, you have an early morning tomorrow, and yeah, we usual. will be revisiting. We will be revisiting some of these uh, best of themes uh, later in December, I'm certain. Uh, but we also have a lot of wargaming to get ready for and yeah. to lay the groundwork for, for oh, our yeah. glorious winter. Uh, so until next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. As always, my thanks to Michael Hermes for putting this episode together, especially since he is recovering from his surgery. So Mm -hmm. thank you, Michael, for managing to do this at a time when nobody could possibly expect it of you. Uh, Until next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Good night. Good night, gamers.